Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. We are in this series, The End Times, and uh, I've got good news for you, church. Jesus is coming back, amen? Over 300 times in the New Testament, references to Jesus coming back or the end times is made. 23 out of the 27 New Testament books have something to say about Jesus' second coming, the end times. So there's clearly a lot of real estate taken up in the word around this subject. And so we need to take the the topic to heart And as a church, we need to understand it, but not live in fear because of it, but live in the hope and the encouragement of knowing that when we are secure in who we are in Christ Jesus, we can look forward with joy and anticipation because he is returning. When you discuss the study of the end times, we shouldn't just simply focus on the time frames. There's a lot of things that, we could really do deep dives into when it comes to the end times. Whether that's the numerous interpretations of the book of Revelation or the mark of the beast, what is the mark of the beast, the rapture, or just focusing on what you need to focus on to give you some sense of comfort. Are you pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? All those things. Our focus should be on how we're living our lives in light of the end times, in light of Jesus's coming. That's what should be the most important thing. In 2 Peter, it says it this way, chapter three, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Okay, so what that means is there's no such thing as a secret. Everything that has ever been done, everything that has happened in the history of mankind will be laid bare. Everything will be out, laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Okay, so this is a partnership and there's this interesting work that's happening where the time is set. God the Father knows it. And at the proper time, he'll let Jesus know and Jesus is standing by ready to come, okay? And he knows that, but there's also this providential will that's happening while simultaneously our participation in this, because what this is saying is, how do you speed its coming? You speed its coming by being salt and light. You speed its coming by making sure that you're ready to give an account for the hope that you have to share your testimony. It, we speed it up because we know that every tra- tribe, nation, and tongue will hear the word of God and hear the gospel before he's coming. And so we all do our part to make sure that that gospel is being spread. That's how we speed that coming. There are three types of people when it comes to packing for a trip, Okay. And I just wanna talk through these. First of all, there are the people that pack the exact right amount of everything that you need, right? Like they know exactly how many pairs of everything that they're gonna need. No more, no less, they know exactly 
what they need to bring, okay? Good for you. Then there are the people that some would say overpack. But most of us would say we're just prepared, right? And those of us that are like this, we're some of the most selfless people on earth because we're not just thinking about what we might need, but how we can serve those around us. Because sure, we're just going on vacation to the beach, but who knows when you might need a solar powered external battery at any given point, right? I mean, you could get stuck out on the ocean and you need to charge your cell phone and there you go. I've got, I literally have it in my backpack right now, a solar powered external battery, okay? Or yeah, sure, we're going to the beach in July and the weather's probably gonna be favorable, but who knows? There's some weird weather phenomenons that are happening these days. I might need a parka, who knows, okay? We're just ready, we're ready, you're welcome, okay? And then there's the people, it's like, they've just estimated the just bare amount of underwear they're gonna need, they're gonna put it in a Walmart sack and they're good to go, okay? So how many of you pack exactly what you need? Okay, we only have five or six sane people in the whole church. How many of you pack way more than you need every time? You're, wow, look at this, come on. Maranatha, <laughs> Jesus come, we're ready, all right, we're prepared. And how many of y'all is like, whatever, I'm just gonna throw some stuff in a suitcase, hope that I got what I need. Okay, y'all come to the altar right now. <laughs> Thankfully, it's clear that we are able to offset all the people that pack like that with all the people that pack way too much, and most of you are married to each other, so you got that going. But here's the point. It's all about preparation. When you're packing your bag, what you're getting ready for determines what you need to pack, or at least that's what it should be. If you have kids though, especially little kids, you know you can't trust them to pack what they need because they won't pack what they need and they'll pack a bunch of stuff they don't need. Like especially when they're little, because even packing their backpacks to go to school, you're gonna have to check it out, right? Here's some examples of some things we found. A box of cereal. I mean, it makes a little bit of sense. You might need a little snack, a little snacky poo. Uh, a roll of paper towels. That is the more messy child. Maybe it's appropriate, you know? Steak knives, you know, things like that. And I find that people way overreact these days when your kid shows up at school with steak knives. I don't know why. They just, it's just like, you know. How many of y'all remember back in the day when we could drive to school with shotguns hanging in our rear view? Our windows, like, we don't live in those days anymore. That is for sure. Uh, yes, one of my kids took a steak knife to school. Because that pizza is not easy to cut, okay? And try cutting through that with those plastic forks, all right? It's just not going to be that easy. You need to make sure that you have what you need. And when it comes to the end times, the Bible wants you to be ready but it wants you to be ready for what really matters. There's something about the end times and talking about that makes people want to prepare, okay? Some of y'all, we know you're in here and we're thankful that you're in here. We just hope that you're not selfish because you're preparing not just for you, but for everyone else too. But how many of y'all remember the toilet paper riots of 2020? How many of y'all remember that? 
Yeah, some of y'all are still using the toilet paper that you bought in 2020. <laughs> you had to move a car out of your garage. Y2K, how many of y'all remember that? Oh, it's gonna turn 2000 and the computers are gonna crash, you know? And preppers just start to salivate, you know? It's like, yes, finally, vindication. I finally, everything that I've been spending thousands of dollars on all these years, I'm gonna get to use it all. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be prepared for hard times. But the Bible is far more interested in how you're preparing your soul and the souls of those around you on how you're living in these times, in these days. In Titus chapter two, verse 11 says, God's saving grace you see appeared for all people. It teaches us that we should turn our backs on ungodliness and the passions of the world and should live sober, just, and devout lives in the present age. While we wait eagerly for the blessed hope and royal appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus the King. He gave himself for us that he could ransom us from all evil and purify for himself a people as his very own who would be eager for good works. You could underline or highlight those words in the present age. In the present age. You've gotta know what that age is for you. So let me give you a quick rundown of what the present age is. Because I think it's important for you to see where you're at on God's timeline. And we're not gonna do a deep dive into this. There's a lot of details, but I think it's important. You can just, this is just gonna be a very simple, elementary, visual, visual representation of where we're at. The idea of living in the end times is not actually new to us. It's been around for a really long time. Actually, the end times began right around Acts chapter one. In verse 10, it says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky where he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Okay, so first of all, it made sense to me like they were still staring into the sky. These angels are not speaking specifically to them. They're speaking through the generations to us. There needs to be a constant awareness that Jesus is returning. But if all we're doing is sitting around watching, then we will miss his purpose. We'll miss the work that he has for us to do. Okay, so let me give you this visual representation. Christ ascends in Acts chapter one, all right? And in between that space and the space that we're living now is what most philosophers refer to as the church age, okay? And, I, and I've got 1 Thessalonians chapter four up there because it is one of the accounts that tells us what it's gonna be like when Jesus returns. So I wanna read that. It's not in your notes. You can write it down and read it later. 1 Thessalonians chapter four, verse 13 says this. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. 
according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and that we who are still living and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. It's so important to understand an eternal perspective. It's so important to be anchored in the hope that is in Christ alone. Because without that, you don't have an accurate perception. You don't have an accurate perception of death. You don't have an accurate perception of loss. This last Sunday, Sunday night, my sister and her three kids moved to College Station from San Antonio about three hours away because my sister had reignited a relationship with a man that she had known from her, our childhood and fell in love with him. And just a short while ago, we're engaged and looking forward to that marriage. And on late Sunday night, sometime early Saturday morning, he died, passed away. As a pastor, I'm around my fair share of death. It is never easy, but when it hits your family, it does hit differently. But the principle does not change. The truth does not change. It doesn't matter how severe, how tragic, how awful, how crippling, the truth does not change. Jesus has to be your foundation. And if Jesus is your foundation, you understand then in those moments of death and loss, there is an eternity. And that should do two things. It should give you the urgency and passion that those that are lost need to hear about Jesus. And you have a role in that. But there's also the truth that those that have surrendered their life to Jesus, whether they die at two years old or 102 years old, this life is a vapor. It is over in an instant in light of eternity. And I'm so thankful that in all the different situations that the Lord has asked me to walk people through, including my own family, including my baby sister, I'm so thankful that I can walk into those situations and yes, grieve and yes, mourn and yes, hold those babies and let them cry as long as they need to cry. But remember, that I don't grieve like those who have no hope. That through all of the pain and all that, I still wipe it all away, take it all away, take every relationship, take everything that's ever been earned or gained, the things that moth and rust destroy, take it all away and guess what is still there? It is enough, it is King Jesus. 
and he is the foundation. And because he is, there is hope. There is joy. There's peace. This world needs a church that has that, understands it, is compassionate, is empathetic, but is unwavering in hope and trusting the Lord. So just like one of those maps at the mall that shows you, you are here so that you know where you need to go to get to Cinnabons. That's what this is. And while on there, there is this point that gives us a strong indication of these times, of, these, of this present age that we're living in. Because there's a lot of different things that the word talks about throughout history. But we know that at the establishment of Israel as a nation is really when that church age begins to come to a close. And we're after that, and we know exactly how long after that, but we don't know how long until the end of that line. But we do know prophetically, it is short. And so that's when people say, yes, but how would you know that we're even closer than we've ever been before? We know because of that blue dot. We know because as soon as Israel was established, that was a major prophetic time slot, catalyst, starting point for the end, for the last of the last of days. So why is this important? What does that mean? It means wake up. It means get ready. Don't sleep, walk through this life. Paul tells Titus, be aware of the times that you're living in and when you're aware of it, live accordingly. Titus chapter two, verse 12. It teaches us that we should turn our backs on ungodliness and the passions of the world and should live sober, just, and devout lives in the present age while we wait eagerly for the blessed hope and the royal appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus the King. So how do we live in this present age? First of all, you gotta face the right direction. Face the right direction. He says, you should turn our backs on ungodliness and the passions of this world. The fact is you can't face both directions at the same time. It is not possible to even physically to face one direction while simultaneously trying to face a different direction. But it's also not feasible for you to do it with your soul. You can't be divided in this. If you are, you are like a wave in the sea blown and tossed by the wind. You're unstable in all of your ways. That's what the word says. You can't look towards the things of heaven, look towards eternity, look towards what his word says, look towards his plan and purpose while simultaneously entertaining the passions and ungodliness of the world around you. You can't do it. It doesn't work. But what we're talking about here is not that everyone should just run out and quit your jobs because Jesus is coming back. Some of you are like, I wish you would tell me that. But that's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about is the world's value system. I don't get my marching orders from the world anymore. The world doesn't dictate my passions and behaviors anymore. Christ does. His word dictates it. 
And the fact is that this could anger or offend some people in your life because your values and their values are not gonna line up anymore. And you've gotta make the decision. Does that mean that you're gonna fix your eyes on Jesus or try to keep looking and entertaining the things of this world? Billy Graham, most of us know who he was, famous evangelist. He preached to more people live than any other human in the history of mankind. But he had a rule, and that was that he would never be alone with another woman other than his wife, ever, for any reason. He would never be alone. My understanding is that this went to the extent that when he would travel and he would check into a hotel, he would have one of his male assistants actually go into his hotel room before him and do a sweep and make sure that there wasn't a woman even hiding in there. And some of you might think that sounds crazy, but here's the thing. When you understand that the devil hates you and wants to do anything and everything he can to destroy you, destroy your integrity, and therefore destroy the work of the kingdom of God, you get vigilant and you do things that look weird to the rest of the world. But he would do that because it would just be, because people understood this about him. They understood that this was a part of his integrity, the way that he lived above reproach. And so it would be just like the enemy and it would just be like the hate of the world to try to set him up, to try to cause him, his integrity to be questioned by putting a woman in a room that he didn't know was there. I try to live my life with the same standard. I've made it my goal to never be alone with a woman other than my wife. So yes, I pastor, sometimes counsel, I meet, but I never do it behind closed doors. I always do it where people can see me. They can see and hear. I just live that way. And I will say, it can be very inconvenient. But I, I've taken it to the level that especially when my kids were little, if we had a young woman that would come and help us take care of our kids from time to time, there were many times that I would get home before my wife Cody had gotten home and my kids and this young woman were in our house and I will stand outside in my driveway next to my vehicle and wait for my wife to go home or I will leave. And some of you are thinking, why would you do that? Like your kids are there so you wouldn't be alone with them. That's not the point. The point is I'm gonna be above reproach. And if someone drives by that house and they see a vehicle that they don't recognize and they see my vehicle that they do recognize and they drive by at one moment and then they drive by the next moment and they see this young woman coming out of my house that they don't know my kids are in there, I'm not interested in giving the enemy any more fodder than he thinks he already has. And it is inconvenient and it doesn't make sense to most of the world and I don't care because I'm thinking not about just what's happening in the here and now, I'm thinking about the imprint and the impact in the kingdom to come. I've gotta face the right direction. What I see so often is Christians, Christians that give their life to Christ and it's like they're walking towards him but then inevitably the, the, the world will present something that seems attractive. And so the temptation is in that moment, a lot of times it's like a quarter turn. They can keep walking forward, but they're, but they're turning. And I would say most of the time they realize, oh, I, I shouldn't. 
so they'll look for it again. But it's not gonna be the last time that they saw that temptation. It's not gonna be the last time they saw that thing that entices. And just so you know, it's not always sinful things that entice. It's just things that keep you from facing the right direction. Good things, acceptable things. But you have to know for you and for your family, what are the things that can turn you to the side and get you distracted? Because what I found is eventually, not because the devil's even involved in it, but because of human nature, eventually, if you turn and you start looking long enough, it will turn you all the way around. And then what I've seen so often is Christians will still pretending like they're going towards Jesus, and they are, but they're walking backwards. And the enemy trips them. They fall. They didn't plan on that happening. They weren't looking for that to happen, but he was. He was waiting for the opportunity, and he does it. And they fall. You gotta face the right direction. You gotta face the right direction. In 1519, Cortez, who arrived in the New World with 600 men, and he made history when he commanded his men to destroy the ships, to burn the ships that they came on, sending that clear message to his men, there is no turning back. And what I would propose is there are some ships in your life that you need to burn. Some of you, you keep numbers in your phone that you need to delete. Some of you are keeping things around for a rainy day that you need to get rid of. Some of you have an offense or a hurt that you're holding on to because the world says that you're justified, but the cross says, forgive as you've been forgiven. And you need to burn that ship of unforgiveness and offense. It's one of the greatest traps of the enemy. The word talks about over and over again, go forward for the prize set before you. For everything that I've accomplished, I consider it nothing. Paul says, I consider it rubbish. When you do a dive into the original language there, rubbish translates more to something that would come out of the south end of a northbound deer. That's what he's talking about. And it's interesting. Every part of who you are and the way that God created you, even physically, is oriented forward. You hear from what's coming in front of you, you see, you speak. Yes, you can pivot your neck, but for the most part, you're not turning your neck all the way around. Your arms, your legs, everything about you, even biologically, God created you to be oriented, to move forward. And some of you, you're already thinking about the exception. And you're right. There is one part of your body that is not oriented forward. And nothing good comes from that. You got to face the right direction. And let the things behind you be just what they are. Behind you. They're rubbish. Your accomplishments, all those things. You're not putting your hope and trust in any of those things. They're rubbish. Face the right direction. In this present age especially, 
we don't have time for entertaining the passions, desires, or justifications of the culture and world around us. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Notice he's talking about the culture and he's talking about the things. He doesn't say people. We have to love the people. We have to. But in the process of loving the people, we don't have to compromise the standard of his word and redefine godly love. We have to love people the way that Jesus loved people. He would speak the truth. He would not compromise his character, but he would not fall in love with the culture or the things. Number two, be sober-minded. Back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is this living sober? It's, it's not just an anti-Bud Light commercial. Sober-minded is not just talking about being drunk, although it is talking about being drunk. You need to hear that clearly. But it's also not talking about taking yourself too seriously. Nobody wants to be around those people. It's not saying don't ever have fun, don't ever laugh. The Bible says laughter is like medicine. It's not saying that you should be legalistic and judgmental. Being sober-minded is not needing to always be right or prove that you're right or think that you're perfect, even theologically. It's not being an unapproachable Christian. To be sober-minded means to have a single focus. And according to Peter, sober-mindedness is living with eternity in mind. You remember when you were a kid and every once in a while you would lean in on a wall or a door so that you could hear the conversation that was happening on the other side, especially if it was around the holidays. You wanted to try to pick up on what maybe you were getting, that type of thing. If you had the fortune of growing up in some mobile homes like I did, you didn't even have to do that. You had floor vents. Every conversation could be heard through those floor vents. You just had to get down. You could hear anything was going. You could whisper. You could still hear it through those floor vents, all right? But as you grow up and as you have kids, the roles reverse and all of a sudden you're start, you want to start listening. You're like, what's going on, all right? What's going on? But one of the scariest noises that you can ever hear when you have little kids is silence. Like you can be in there if they're screaming and yelling and crying and fighting and all that kind of stuff. You're like, ah, they're good. But as soon as it goes quiet, oh no. They are lighting something on fire right now. Some, they are smearing something on the wall that does not belong on the wall right now. And you go and check on it. The fact is, if you're sober-minded, you have your ear pressed against eternity. One way that you could say this, when you live with eternity in, the, in mind, you eavesdrop on eternity. You're constantly just, you want to you hear, what is it that heaven celebrates? That's what I want to celebrate. What is it that breaks the heart of God that would cause heaven to weep? That's what I want to weep for. The problem is too often in our culture 
and Christians, we are whispering the things that God would yell from the rooftops and we scream and argue about the things that at best should be a whisper. But the reason why we miss it is because we aren't intently leaning in to what eternity is saying. When you live with eternity in mind, you can face anything that this life throws at you. Because you know that your hope and your joy and your peace is not anchored in this life, it's anchored in Jesus. If a father comes to his kids and he says, hey kids, next year I'm gonna, we're gonna take you guys to Disney World. And then he brings them over to a computer and he shows them everything that Disney World has to offer all the rides, all the glorious entertainment, all those things. And he says, next year, I'm gonna take you. Well, for sure, without a doubt, within a short amount of time, those kids are gonna be coming and asking, how many more days? How much longer? Okay, but something else will happen probably in the meantime too. Those kids are gonna come and say, dad, here's the thing. This really is life or death but I desperately need the new Jordans. If, I don't, if you don't buy me the new Jordans, I will be a loser for the rest of my life. You, you don't understand this. Or, or dad, I, I still have the iPhone 10. Don't you love me? There have been five other phones since this phone has been released. I need a new game. Why can't we eat out more? But the dad will say, no, remember, we're going to Disney World. Because we're going to Disney World, we've gotta be willing to not have and be willing to sacrifice some of these other things for the glorious hope that is in front of us. And Lord willing, by the grace of God, those kids will be willing to go through hardships, to go through difficulties, and not always have everything that they want when they want it because they know what they're looking forward to. And that's what our Heavenly Father has asked us to do. Keep your priorities where they need to be. Keep your priorities, keep your value, how you invest on what really matters. Last thing, be fully devoted. The fact is being fully devoted isn't typically a new believer problem. Usually when someone becomes a new believer, they come in with a lot of passion they're all in. Typically, a lack of devotion becomes a problem for seasoned believers because for whatever reason, reason, life happens and it's easy to lose focus. So we forget, we stop doing the things that the Lord would ask us to do to stay devoted. A quick list. God asks us to be devoted to personal growth. We, when we become a believer, 
our responsibility is to grow into discipleship. It's our responsibility to find the avenues for that growth. It's our responsibility to wake up every day and commit our day to the Lord, to spend time talking with him, to spend time deepening an understanding of his word. It's also being devoted to biblical community where we understand that God did not create us to be alone and to live life alone, but he created us to work in partnership with the other parts of the body of Christ for his kingdom, to stay moving in the right direction. So it is staying devoted to to making sure that we're around biblical community. We gather with the saints. These are the things that we have to be devoted to. But it's also being devoted to living sacrificially. Because the fact of the matter is, one of the things that will help you stay kingdom-minded and stay focused on eternity more than anything is living sacrificially. In all levels, when you're giving of your time, when you give of your talents, when you give of your treasure, all those things are antidotes to materialism. All those things are antidotes to you being consumed with culture and what culture says that you need to put value in. When you stay devoted and focused on looking every day, led by the Holy Spirit for opportunities to give of your time, to sacrifice of your time, to sacrifice of your finances, to use the things that God has given you to build others up and to build his kingdom. When you live life like that, it keeps you focused. It keeps you sober-minded. It keeps you focused on what really matters. And those are the areas that the Lord has asked every believer to stay devoted to. While we wait eagerly for the blessed hope and royal appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus the King. Like the old song says, God give us conviction to live. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Amen? If you believe it, let's give the Lord a hand. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Here in a second, we're gonna take communion. I think it's appropriate that we remember Jesus, that we take the elements that remind us of what was given so that we can live the life that we've been talking about all morning. Before we get to that, I want to give an opportunity to anyone who even now by the Spirit, by the presence of God is recognized, I have my back turned towards God. I have my back turned towards heaven. I have my back turned towards His grace. I have my back turned to the cross. In other words, you need him. You're lost. You feel separate from your heavenly father, your creator. And it may be that you've been that way your whole life, or it may be that you just find yourself in a place and in a season, it may be a long season where you've been away from God. 
whether it's a first time surrender or, or a rededication, I wanna give you an opportunity to recognize it and respond. The word says that if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, then you can be saved. So if you're here and you would recognize, man, I'm away from him. I'm away from him. I'm ready to turn. I'm ready to turn. I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. I need forgiveness. If that's you, nobody looking around. But between me, you, and the Lord, I'd love to pray with you. And I'm just going to ask you to, to be willing to confess it by raising your hand right now. I need Jesus. I need to call on him as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Yes, we do. As soon as we make eye contact, you can put your hand down. Is there anyone else? Thank you. I'm ready to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Got you. Thank you. I got you, dude. Thank you. Anyone else? I'm ready to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. There at the back. Thank you. I see you. Anyone else? Holy Spirit's just convicting you even now. Got you. Yes, sir. That you need to surrender to him. Not just that you need forgiveness of your sins, but you recognize that you trying to do this on your own, you trying to make it happen, it's not working. And you've got to surrender to him now. Anyone else? I need to call on Jesus. Thank you. Yes. I got you, dude. Thank you. I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Yes. Thank you. He loves you. He's here to meet with you right now. Anyone else? I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. Make him my Lord and Savior. Yes. Anyone else? Somebody's just wrestling with it. I get that. I just want to let you know you don't have to wrestle anymore, but thank you. God, thank you. Okay. All right. So for anybody that just raised your hand, that's just you physically saying, I need Jesus. We just need to have a conversation with him. He knows where your heart's at already. But let's just tell them because it'll, it'll build faith in you. And it'll confirm what you're already knowing and believing in your heart. So I'd like everybody, if you could repeat after me, everyone in this room, say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I'm lost without you. But I believe that you died on the cross for me. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you rose from the grave, defeating sin and death so that I could have the hope of heaven so I can live for you today. I surrender to you, Jesus. 
I turn away from the world and I turn towards you. Help me to live the life that you gave me on the cross. Father, thank you so much for salvation. Thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for those that have started the first step, the first day in an amazing life and an amazing journey, an amazing purpose in you. And I pray that you help us as a church to come alongside of them so they can grow and become the people you've called them to be. And Lord, I pray that you would, by your spirit, even as we get ready to take communion, as we remember you like you asked us to do, would you, by your spirit, show us areas where we've been distracted, show us areas where we've turned to the side or even turned around and been distracted by the things of this world. And Lord, would you help us to be teachable and humble and turn towards you in Jesus' name, amen.